Hey everyone, this is Linda. You're listening to Calling Water, the podcast that examines a passage of scripture and asks the questions what does it mean and what does it call us to do? In today's episode, Love Your Enemies, we're looking at Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48, which is part of the famous Sermon on the Mount, and how loving our enemies and praying for those who persecute us is not just a call to grin and bear it, but to embody God's love with our whole selves and move away from the us and them divide. Let's get started. Hello, listener friends. Welcome to another truly special episode of Calling Water. I say truly special because I'm joined today by my good friend and colleague, Crystal Quintero. So you guys, Crystal is a wonder. She has a diverse range of experiences as an educator, pastor, and currently as a lead editor. And she's one of the most intelligent and insightful people that I've ever gotten to know and learn from on a daily basis because like both her comments and remarks and the questions she raises just teaches us and prompts us so much. And I love that, that I get to work with her all the time and have these conversations throughout our work. Um, But I'm so excited that she's here to talk Bible with us a little further on this episode. And I could go on and on with this rave, but I'm going to let Crystal tell us a little bit more about herself. So Crystal, welcome. Thanks, Linda. Oh my gosh, I feel that was such a humbling um, <laughs> intro. <laughs> I really appreciate that. Um, yeah, so like Linda mentioned, I'm, um, I work with her at Stuff You Can Use as lead editor. Um, and I'm from Los Angeles. Uh, yeah, I was a former educator, K through three. And that's really where I learned so much about how to make our world more accessible and inclusive for everybody. Um, because seeing those little ones and all of the, everything that they represent, right? Like everybody who shows up to your classroom is representing an entire family and mm-hmm. um, an entire community in and of themselves. So that really inspired me and made me ask the questions of how am I making this space as safe and comfortable for these little ones as possible and then that bleeds over into how I interact with folks who are grown-ups and who have their own stories to tell and maybe um, have not been seen when they were little and and that impacts who we are today and how we interact with one another so yeah that had a big influence and um, currently I enjoy spending time with my family exploring the city um, we spend time in Limerick Park. My daughter, my daughter's dance studio is there, and that's a historically black neighborhood um, because we are um, an Afro-Latina household. Um, so yeah, and we live in a historically Latina neighborhood, um, and culture is very important to us. So I just love being able to honor and include everybody's story as they as we cross paths. It's amazing how interactions with kids really frames your theology, your life philosophy, because mm-hmm. I had been a children's pastor for years before I had kids of my own. And just the way that I talk to them, just the way that you see them, it just changes. And it's it's so cliche because they're like, oh, wait till you have kids of your own. But it's so mm-hmm. true. Like once you actually get into that right frame of reference, it 
really shifts a lot of your own narratives. And I really love that you shared that. So thank you. I showed Rita um, Daniel Tiger for the first time last mm, night. Our favorite. And um, yes, yeah, so you're always raving about Daniel Tiger and your kiddos watching it. And I was, I was like, I just feel like this show got a lot of things right in showing kids what it means to make like environments accessible and everything. And and I'm um, talking about like how they can practice emotional intelligence and all of those big ideas. They really do a good job of contextualizing them for little ones. Yeah, yeah. they do. I, I love that the little snippets, little jingles of their walk away big idea for the day is just so memorable and mm-hmm. so applicable. Our kids sing that I, even my eight-year-old recall some of the things that he saw when he was like three. Mm-hmm. So good job, Daniel Tiger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to shift a little bit and go into our scripture. Um, usually at this point, I usually summarize uh, what that what happened in the passage for those listening so you don't have to hear me read a huge block of text. Um, however, our passage for today, Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 48, not so much a story. Um, so I'm just going to read the text for us so that we can kind of contextualize what is being talked about here as Crystal and I begin our conversation. And it can maybe help you think about some thoughts on your own as you hear these words. Okay, so starting with verse 43. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So now this is a snippet from the famous Sermon on the Mount by Jesus. And it's interesting because I'm sure the crowds gathered there were probably expecting some kind of political manifesto to overthrow the government or put some language behind an impending rebellion. But instead, Jesus says stuff like this, which I feel like would have elevated some, but also crushed some of their spirits who thought, wow, here's somebody we can rally behind. So Crystal, tell us more about this text and what are some things you want to call attention to? Yeah, well, I feel like this text comes up a lot um, in the nature of our work. And and I see um, folks writing on it or even us navigating it in-house. It's just there's a lot of conversation of um, be kind, even if somebody is not kind to you. And that um, there's a lot of history behind that phrasing um, and why so many folks have re- interpreted and read it that way, um, especially here in the States. But Jesus is saying a lot more than be kind to those who are not kind to you. Because um, as you mentioned, you know, they were living under oppression, the the audience that Jesus was speaking to. Mm -hmm. And so first Jesus challenges his audience, go beyond what makes them comfortable. But this statement was not just regarding interpersonal divides, but political divides too. Um, So when Jesus says he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, 
Jesus is saying, you're all experiencing um, life. You're all experiencing being here on this earth. The rain is going to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous, which is a benefit, obviously, to to agricultural purposes. So it doesn't necessarily mean like for us, like having a rainy day. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, Jesus is saying, you're all experiencing life. There is no actual divide between us. And the sooner we see that, the sooner we're able to then talk about our interpersonal relationships and how we can come together. Um, And Jesus encourages them to develop an ongoing conversation with God about their experience of oppression. So when Jesus says, pray for your enemies, I feel like you think of like the prayer circle and -hmm. somebody really did you wrong and you're holding hands and you're closing your eyes and you're like, and God, um, just have mercy on so-and-so because they did something really rude earlier today. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like the passive aggressive prayer, that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, start talking to God about your experience. Because really when we pray, um, it's not this magic spell to change things um, instantly in our lives. It's about us really going to that quiet place and asking God, God, what why do I feel this way? What is my experience? It's really a time for reflection and a time for for us to be still and receive whatever God may may speak to us. Um so when Jesus encourages his audience to pray for their enemies, he's saying, start to get curious about what you're really experiencing because we've all been told stories about our current experience and we've been told how we're supposed to feel about it. But you pray and you spend time and let's start to think bigger. Um, this isn't just about us conquering or overcoming or overthrowing people. It's mm-hmm. about my kingdom showing you there's actually not going to be an us and them anymore mm-hmm. um, because I'm bringing you peace that's going to disrupt things. It's not going to make everything nice and perfect, but I'm bringing you peace that's going to give you the option to all come together in a different way, not glossing over people's pain and everything. Um, And this is something that's later revisited in the epistles, if I can bring up like another passage. Um, I was reading a devotional yesterday and I I read this passage and I was like, oh, that ties into what we're going to talk about on the podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's Ephesians 2, 14 to 16. Mm-hmm. And it says, Christ is our peace. He made both Jews and Gentiles into one group. With his body, he broke down the barrier of hatred that divided us. He canceled the detailed rules of the law so that he could create one new person out of the two groups making peace. He reconciled them both as one body to God by the cross, which ended the hostility to God. When he came, he announced the good news of peace to you who were far away from God and to those who were near. Um. And when you see that manifestation through the church of mm-hmm. the, the divide between us and them being gone, you better understand what Jesus was saying on the Sermon on the Mount. Like it comes to fruition through the existence of the church, um, which was, again, not meant to erase anyone's culture, but to teach us all to appreciate one, in, one another for existing, for living under the same sunrise, for living under the same rainfall. So yeah, there's just, there's so much I love about this passage because I think it's been used to teach people who are not being treated fairly to kind of grin and bear it. Right. And, you know, there's different outlooks. Like 
there's different outlooks from people who experience marginalization. You know, for some cultures, we're taught to keep our heads down and not mm-hmm. make waves. For some cultures, we're taught to speak up and make noise and make change. And for some cultures, we're taught to assimilate and just do what they're asking you to do. But Jesus is, is bringing it all together and saying, like, get curious, like, understand that this is more than than grinning and bear it, bearing it. It's about the, the oppressor understanding they can't create a power dynamic anymore. Like, it doesn't work under my kingdom. And for you understanding that pretty soon there's not going to be an S in them anymore. Um, so Jesus is really speaking to both sides of the spectrum. Yeah. Oh my gosh. There's so much richness in everything you just said. I love that you contextualize that for us because this was during a time when those divides were very clear and everyone in Jesus's audience, like when he said something about enemies, they probably could visualize this enemy in their minds. And even like the Bible is replete with text pre-Jesus about you know, calling out to God and asking to like vindicate them and to destroy their enemies and deliver the enemies. And it's just, it's so interesting because Jesus is speaking to a crowd that has historically been, I mean, since the exile and so on, like they have historically been oppressed and marginalized. And so I love that you're saying like, no, it's not about, let's just pray that God deals with our enemies, but more so these are prayers of catharsis, cries for liberation, just expressing your anger and hate in prayer and not to couch it in this kind of prayer that seems, you know, sanctimonious and holy in some ways. And also, I do think that this text has been taken out of context so much. I think it's one of the ones that are the most, right? That's been the most taken out of context, especially when the point of view shifts. So when people use this text from a position of being in power, like being the oppressor. And now they're like, oh, we're going to pray that God will vanquish our enemy. You know, it just reads very different. Yeah. So, okay. I feel like I can share this with you because you're a parent and you work with kids, but there was this review of a Lyle Lyle Crocodile book Mm -hmm. um, from the 60s. And it was flagging the book because it Got some harmful messaging. So this is, I'll explain it this way, and hopefully it becomes clear the correlation between the passage. But basically, um, there's a family that takes in this crocodile, and, you know, they do life with the crocodile. He's more than a pet. He's part of the family. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's this whole book about Lyle going through life, and people don't like him. People don't like him in their community because he's a uh, crocodile. Mm-hmm. And they think that he's scary. So the author illustrates Lyle like going through these different acts of service of being kind to these people who don't like him and who are mm-hmm. treating him unfairly um, as a point to express like if people are treating you unfairly, essentially like kill them with kindness, but also like be at their mercy. Mm-hmm. Um and maybe things will change. Well, this was written in the 60s in the midst of the civil rights movement. Mm-hmm. So, and this author was a white author. So there was an underlying message of like, essentially, yeah, just grin and bear it. And a message right. to to kids, like if somebody is not being treated fairly, it's up to them to change it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, and, and I feel like so for so long, that's exactly how this passage has been taught is, yes. um, you know, or minimized in the sense of like, you know, you're having a disagreement with somebody, they're your enemy. And Jesus is saying, well, actually, you don't have enemies anymore with me. Like, I'm giving you a chance to understand that you don't have to, to be so polar opposites of people who disagree with you. You can actually see that there's a lot more common ground than and you initially thought, right? Which is why he says, with the sunrise and the rainfall, like mm-hmm. you have so much more in common than you you recognize. And essentially, we need each other. You know, um, Jesus calling back to the original design of creation, where everything exists with one another, and that's what what he's calling back. Like, hey, this is the original design. This was the original plan. You weren't meant to be separated. But um, you were meant to to be together. In the message version, he summarizes verse forty-eight um, in a way I think is just so succinct and to the point. Um, because in the NIV and other versions, it's "Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect." Which mm-hmm. I mean, I guess we'd have to parse it out in Greek for us to better understand um, what the meaning of that is. But I love how in the message it says, "In a word, what I'm saying is, grow up." Your kingdom subjects now live like it, live out your God created identity, live generously and graciously toward others the way God lives toward you. And I just thought that was so beautiful in that that's exactly it. It's not, we're not striving for some sort of godly perfection, but more like live out this God created identity um, that we all bear. I did also want to comment that a few verses before this selection, Jesus talks a little bit about forgiveness and retribution and vengeance, because that's the whole text with, um, if you go back to verse 38, you know, that's where Jesus talks about the eye for an eye and turning the other cheek, going the extra mile. And I do think that loving our enemies is often equated with forgiveness and forgiveness toward the offending party. And it's usually for the one who is being mistreated, like you said, to do the forgiving. And so that power dynamic is very unjust. Um, and it's it's an easy passage to apply if the differences you have with your so-called enemies are minor, but when they're systemic and when they're larger and, and it causes irreparable intentional harm, like there's no passage of time and no amount of I forgive you and I'm sorry, that's going to make it okay. So how do you see loving your enemies and forgiveness playing out in like real practice? I think when we look at this, like, in English, or just through a Western translation, it's really easy to see it as like an action that you have to take up loving your enemies. Mm-hmm. But I would, I would argue that Jesus was saying exist in love, exist in love. And this is a byproduct of existing in love. Um, if you're embodying my love, because through a Western lens, we're looking at it as something we have to do, something that has sure. to get done. How do we do this? But Jesus is speaking from an Eastern perspective where faith practices and your spirituality is embodied. It's who you are. It's um, it's why certain faith practices, they pray and they have to face a certain way. They have to mm-hmm. face toward this, the sun, I believe it is. Um, five times a day, you know, like you have to do something with your body. Mm -hmm. And when Jesus is saying this, he's saying, embody it. Like 
if you want to live the way God who is love exists, this is part of it. Um, so I think it's really a challenge for us to ask ourselves, how am I existing in love today? Like, am I kind of grumbling under my breath more than I am like checking in with myself and getting curious about what makes me frustrated? Am I, um, do I have like a tightness in my chest and feeling like I need to be passive aggressive with someone rather than taking a deep breath and checking in and being like, well, I wonder, I wonder why they said that. Let me just give them the benefit of the doubt. And just like how we process, like how Jesus is saying, go to, to God in conversation and prayer and, and understand what's coming up for you. How are you experiencing the situation? Um, and so I think it's a lot more about Embodying, how can we embody this love that Jesus is talking about? Mm-hmm. I love that that it's a call to like a holistic sense of being, and not so these little actions you have to do to check it off your list. Like I did my Christianese duty for the day. Um, mm-hmm. I I also want to call attention to kind of along the same vein um, of existing in love. In verses 46 to 47, Jesus kind of draws in this kind of polarity, right? Like, if you love those who love you, what reward will we get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And then he says, and if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that. So some might read this and be like, wow, Jesus is actually drawing lines in the sand for how we should behave as opposed to these tax collectors and pagans. And um, how do you, what do you make of these verses? I think Jesus is using those folks as an example, you know, really contextualizing it for his audience and saying, you perceive these people to be a certain way. Mm -hmm. If that is how you think they are, I want you to recognize that you do the same thing. It's because you're both human. He's like trying to to draw them in and say, guess what? You're all behaving the same way because it's a part of the human condition, but I'm showing you a different way to be. Like I'm showing you that there's something more to the human condition. It's not just this negative behavior. There's something beautiful that I created you to do as well. I grew up, as you know, in a very kind of conservative, charismatic upbringing. And so a lot Mm -hmm. of these verses have been used to be like, set yourself apart from the worldly and the unrighteous. But Jesus is not saying, hey, do better than them. He's saying, no, you're just like them. And that's fine because you are human and we are all this way, but it's more like making these connections and making these very extreme examples to be like, oh, I didn't realize I was this kind of person. Oh, I guess I am no better. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that. I, I love how you drew that in for us. I know we just talked about not specific actions, but what are some other things that this being in this passage you think it calls us to do? Well, I guess... I I can say this by drawing attention to like the dynamic between you and I. I'm gonna like zoom out <laughs> quite a Love bit. It. Um, but I would challenge <laughs> I would challenge listeners to consider the divides that exist in their own communities. You know, mm-hmm. both you and I are from Los Angeles, but we're from different parts of Los Angeles, and mm-hmm. um, we were raised through the '90s in Los Angeles, which there was a big divide between specifically the Korean American community and the black community, you know, and 
everybody had their valid fears and, and reasons, but the way we acted upon them, you know, our communities acted upon them is very um, problematic in the ways mm-hmm. that we interacted with one another. And I feel that when you and I interact, I feel like there's like a consciousness, there's an awareness of the communities we represent and the history that exists specifically in our city, you know, mm-hmm. not, um, you know, people may understand like what it means for someone to be Korean American and what it means for someone to be black, but specifically in LA, there's deep rooted history, you know, yes. and mm-hmm. um, you and I both represent that. And we both treat each other with respect and love and hold each other accountable to certain things. And um, I feel very emotional because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I think it's very beautiful that we're able to work together, respect one another and yeah, just care about one another because it's, it's such um, an example of restoration that, that mm-hmm. God has specifically brought us together and, and put us in this place where we can, kind of bring healing to those lineages yes. and mm-hmm. what it means for our families moving forward in this context. So I would challenge people like get, get curious about what divides exist in your communities and how you can be a bridge to erase those lines. Well, not ignoring people's cultures and what they bring, sure. but how can you bring things together? You know? Yeah. You're so right. Because a lot of the work we have to do is kind of undoing and maybe correcting or even just shifting some of the narratives we've been taught and that have been ingrained in us for so long. And so not only this conversation, but absolutely everything you're saying about the communities we represent and what we bring to the table when we have our conversations. I think those are also valuable. And these are practices that we would love to see emulated just throughout our communities. And that would just be super helpful. Crystal, this was so amazing. I just love everything, all your insight into the passage and all the different things you had to say about how we can do this in in real life and not just in theory. Um, do you have any other concluding remarks, any resources you want to shout out to um, so that our listeners can definitely be more curious and do some more homework? I just know that a great podcast that I love listening to, to kind of broaden my understanding of what it means to embody love and erase divides. It's called All My Relations. Mm-hmm. Um, and two indigenous women who just talk about all things that that impact them and their family and their community. It's a fantastic resource. Okay, great. Thank you so much, Crystal, for being here, for talking about this very complex passage that has been passed off as so simple, um, but just kind of unraveling some of that mystery and showing us what it means and practically and just in a way that makes a lot more sense in light of its context, original context, and and in ours today. So thank you for sharing all of that with us. Thanks, Linda. I really love being on. I'm excited to hear the questions and feedback that you get from this this episode. Friends, I hope this conversation gave you some good food for thought and helped you rethink the whole idea of what it really means to love our enemies. I'm sure all of us have heard of this concept, even those of us who weren't raised in the church. 
but for too long, loving our enemies had come to mean that whenever we're wronged in some way, we just needed to walk away, don't retaliate, and as Crystal said, grin and bear it. But like we talked about, it's not just about being kind. It's about existing in love, as Crystal reminded us, and letting that love govern our choices. And if we truly embody that notion, then loving our enemies goes beyond being deliberate action and becomes more like natural instinct. At the same time, Jesus doesn't minimize the plight of those who are suffering, those with real enemies. And such people are usually told the same thing, Love your enemy, forgive the offending party. Your enemy is not God's enemy, right? And it's not as taxing when your so-called enemy just has some annoying idiosyncrasies or their mistakes stemmed from genuine ignorance. But that's not even the point. Jesus invites everyone to communicate those legitimate fears, anger, pain, and even hatred to God, and trust in our God who is very much a champion of justice and of perfect love. And as we wait for God to act, we can begin the hard work of erasing the lines that divide us, not so that we become one amorphous, homogenous entity, but so that we can celebrate the beautiful differences that somehow make us equally loved and valued in the eyes of God. Let's pray. God, it seems easier these days to make enemies than it is to make friends. We are so polarized on every topic across the board, and every perceived slight causes us to shut each other out. Teach us instead to be curious, to bridge gaps instead of widening them that loving our enemies begins with first understanding what it means to love with our whole selves as your son has done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.